Welcome to Sound Method, a podcast featuring inspiring audio creators from across the world of sound and the techniques they use in their best work. I'm Jess Sang. And I'm Noah Snyderman. Today's episode, Sound is a Relationship, with Karen Yu. Hi, my name is Karen. I'm a percussionist and also an experimental sound artist. I'm very much interested in interdisciplinary projects, but I'm still actually uh, running a percussion group and I'm still doing a lot of classical music related projects, but you just heard uh, my newest work. It's called The Fragile of Debris. The Fragile of Debris is an event to mourn disposed and forgotten debris that will continue to exist as a reminder of us. A ritual to sanitize ourselves to the daily apathetic act of discarding waste and a warning to be conscious of our unrealistic perception of recycling non-biodegradable waste. Uh, what you just heard is um, actually the ritual, the final part of the project. There were uh, two other parts in the project that you didn't hear. Because the entire project is about asking the performers to collect their waste, and then they have to write a log based on the waste. Every single piece of waste matters. So they have to write a diary every day of every single piece of waste they generate. And actually, the entire log is being uploaded onto a Tumblr website. At the end of the collection, which is a week long, I took them out for a hike. So they carried all of their uh, waste to this battery ground up in the hills. It's not a terrible hike, but it's still pretty, um, it's far. So after the hike, they had to perform a ritual. And what you just heard was part of the ritual that they performed based on the composition that I wrote them. And the composition is really just um, a bunch of actions that I have proposed, like play the items like the bells or um, stack them up and let them fall. You know, a lot of actions where they are creating uh, a sculpture uh, using their waist and turning the sculpture into an instrument. All of these experiences will eventually contribute to their, their personal connection to the objects, which changes throughout the entire ritual. Hi, Karen. Thanks for being on Sound Method. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For sure. Just for all of the listeners, um, I first met Karen uh, in, while I was doing my master's degree at McGill University in Montreal. Uh, she's currently based in Hong Kong, and she uh, has an amazing body of work as both a percussionist, a performance artist, and an interdisciplinary arts researcher, as she said. And she is also uh, one of my closest collaborators and best friends. But uh, today we're going to talk about installation art and more specifically two pieces of hers. The one that you just heard called The Vigil of Debris and um, also of a project that she was involved in called The Breathing Canvas. You quickly already described The Vigil of Debris, but can you just go into a little bit more detail about what the project was and I guess what you were asking from each performer? Oh, yeah, yeah. So when I came to realize this project. I've been seeing a lot of waste generated every day, mostly because of COVID, but you know, you see a lot more on the street. You see uh, people trying to recycle things, but we never know where they're going. We never know if they're actually being recycled or not. Chances are 
they are being contaminated and they are being brought to the landfill. These are the things that began to urge uh, myself to question: What else can we do about this? But also, of course, I could stop generating waste, right? I could stop buying takeout. I could stop using、uh, water bottles. I could stop doing all these things. But ultimately, the problem was the way we treat objects. That was the problem. That was the cause of the problem. So I wanted people to realize. The meaning of the specific objects could change、uh, based on how we treat them, or we, it could change based on our experience with the objects. And this work, and the ritual itself, is what I wanted to show to people. As a result, I had a two very completely different、um, interpretation of the work, which you'll see. I believe the piece that we just played was、uh, Samuel's. Samuel's a percussionist, and he treated the whole composition as a composition. He had to execute all actions based on his own、um, interpretations, and a lot of the materials he played was very percussive. It was very well done. He just completely、uh, turned the battery ground, the batter- battery shelter, into a performance space of his. For himself, which is、uh, super impressive, and I thought he was playing timpani on the takeout cans, and it was amazing. But on the other hand, Lawrence, it was、um, so another version of this project was completely different. He was playing with the objects, he was destroying it, he was、uh, trying to make all of these different sounds based on the items he had. But that was it, the very interesting part was that. He actually responded to the environment, so there were envi-、um, a lot of environmental sounds were recorded as well. And after several rounds of listening, because we were deciding whether we, we want to take out the airplane sounds or people talking at all, but after a while, we realized he was actually responding to these external sounds that he heard. It was all this natural action that he had.、Um, so that really showed. That our perspective changes、uh, our personal connection with the objects. Right. Absolutely. That's so interesting. I, I just want to、um, describe the project a little bit more for folks.、Um, so, I, I mean, my understanding of this project is that,、um, as you said, the performers are asked to collect their all of the waste that they generate from a single. Is it a week or what is the the period? Yeah, a week. A week, a week of of any any kind of garbage that you have, and then they, I guess they they're supposed to clean and bring this garbage to a location, and then perform this this piece on them. And so you have these two beautiful recordings of、um, these two very different interpretations of it. One person、um, who who is playing all of the, I guess all of the objects like percussion instruments, like they would,、um, I don't know, a. Many percussion instrument setup, and then another person who is really just kind of going to town on them and and breaking and and doing a, a much more destructive thing. And we hear a lot of、um, yeah, like you said, birds chirping, airplanes,、uh, people talking in the background. Can you talk a little bit more about making the choice to include those sounds in, in the end, especially for the other performer, the one that wasn't. I guess reacting as much to it.、Um, was there anything that was really important for you to keep in,、uh, and was there anything that you removed from the uh, environmental uh, recording? Yeah, yeah.、Um, so we did remove some of the ambience because 
some of the talking or some of the singing was really uh, obvious, and I'm not sure if that was something that was necessary to include. But we did actually include some of the sounds, especially for Lauren's interpretation that um, we actually didn't play today. But then I thought that it it was necessary because that was an environment that he was in, and without that environment, I. Totally believe that Lawrence would have a completely different interpretation of it, and that is what made the ritual very, very special to him, especially. So the environmental sound was crucial. I think that was something right. that I would not take out unless I really had to. Like some of the moments at Sammy's interpretation, where the saying, the speaking was very loud. I could even hear the content of the conversation. So. So those moments, I actually couldn't couldn't save it. Yeah, but otherwise, I was really happy that a bird came by. I was really happy dogs barred and all that. Right, yeah. right. And in in seeing or seeing and hearing, um, I guess the environmental sound combined with the sound of something that we consider disposable, something that is garbage, something that's waste, you're kind of forced, as as the listener at least, uh, in my opinion, to reconcile between the idea of nature and then what we're putting into it, right? And and that'll, I mean, that seems like a lot of the intention to me. Um, you have worked with several different composers to create um, different installation and performance pieces, and now you've created pieces of your own. And I wanted to ask you, in beginning a new interdisciplinary project uh, that brings different kinds of artists together, what is the best place to start, in your opinion? I know that's a broad question. No, I thought about it. But I have to say, the Fijil of Debris was an accident. <laughs> it, it wasn't intended. <laughs> Some of the best things um, are. It wasn't intended to be um, interdisciplinary. Because as I mentioned, there was a composition and there was instrument. So to me, it was originally a piece that I wrote. But um, as a composer, I had to think... What is it like to have this piece performed? So it ended up being um, uh, multiple layers of events happening, the ritual, the waste collection, the logs. But going back to the question, how did I start? To me, sound and percussion has always been a medium for me. It wasn't like a destination for me. Uh, I didn't want to be like a full-time percussionist. That wasn't like the goal. Uh, My goal was to collaborate with people. Collaboration is what I am interested in in most of the projects. I wouldn't want to do a project alone, like 100% alone. I wouldn't want to do a project like that. There's always more than myself in the project um, that I've done, like the reading canvas, like this one. And I love improvisation. I'm all, uh, I love improvising with other people. I think the collaboration, it's how I really get to know about the other person. And that's the contribution to the projects that we're doing. Without the personal connection, I wouldn't be able to do a project with them because that project could be anything but but something that belongs to me and the collaborators. And if that's the case, if it's anything but that, then I don't see the point of collaborating with a specific person, right? There's something that got to represent me and the collaborator, and it is the project itself. Gotcha. And I guess in that same vein, can sound connect us in in that way? Like, um, I guess when you are thinking about your role as a sound maker, as someone who is kind of in charge, 
of that aspect of a, of a project. How are you thinking about using it, uh, especially with, with non-soundmaking artists? This is an interesting question. That's also my question when I asked a dancer or a choreographer, how do you use dance or body movements to collaborate with people? But I think the first step of doing this is to really learn how do they make their art because there's no point of me telling people how do I make my art without understanding how do they make their art. The way we work is completely different anyways. So I think the first thing I would do is to actually learn how these people do their things and use and that. Obviously there's probably sound in whatever it is that they're doing, right? Like the, everything yeah, has... Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And how do they realize their work? And I'll, I usually try to apply that way of thinking into sound and in a way translating a language to them through that and some of the interesting results come out from that so yeah learn learn from the others first before I try to tell people what sound is to me right absolutely yeah I I mean we don't have to go into that much detail on this but something that has always struck me about your work has been this project of yours called the breathing canvas And for our listeners, um, you can check that out on Karen's website, uh, which we'll link to in uh, the episode description. And um, the breathing canvas to me was, I mean, it's so many things. It's a, it's an installation piece. It's a performative installation. It's uh, like an atmospheric kind of sound. And just to describe it really quickly, and I don't mean to speak for you, (laughs) but it is a bunch of metal sheets, right? With motors attached to it that can stand alone by itself uh, as an installation or can be activated in like a performance that Karen plays on it. But that to me, as an integration of three different disciplines, right? Uh, you worked on it, uh, Zihua Tan, a composer, worked on it, and Kenny Wong, a visual artist, uh, an installation artist, worked on it. It's just such an interesting melding of all of your ideas and techniques, which manifests itself in a way that I've, I've never seen before. I, if you want to say anything about that, uh, please feel free. But I, I just think it's a really interesting project. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love for folks to check it out. Yeah, sure. It's my first interdisciplinary project. It wasn't intentional again, because I just wanted to turn an installation into into an instrument. I wasn't thinking that far. Right, right, um, for sure. And to be honest, it was a thunder sheet. It, thunder sheet was an instrument anyways. So that was how I started the breathing canvas. And back back then, uh, I wasn't able to compose. I, I didn't think I was able to compose. So I thought I needed a third collaborator. So I invited Lee to join us. And turns out he has some really interesting thoughts about sound that's very, very different from me and Kenny as well. So that really contributed to the project. Without the composition, I don't think breathing canvas is going to be breathing canvas. So again, collaborator is very important. 
But throughout the journey of developing the reading canvas, I really learned that different artists work very, very differently. Not only the approach, but also how like the timeline or um, things going to detail such as aesthetics would be very different. It's always about how do you um, work with others? How do you um, make things right? How do you how do you communicate? It's very, very important. And I learned so much in that project and I still I'll still love to perform it. But because it's too it's too big, it's too much work. Um <laughs> Yeah, the right now I just huge. have it on the video. Right, it's right, going right. to be forever be on YouTube, <laughs> and that's it. I mean, hey, at least people can see it. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, just in what you've said, it, it seems so clear to me that you have taken sound making and applied it to just more than, more than I guess, what it is on the surface level. Like you, you kind of see it as this conduit to working with others and seeing others and kind of amplifying and, and taking their practices and combining them. And I, I just think like I mean, that, that's an amazing way of conceptualizing sound making. A very basic question, but what makes a sound interesting to you? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think my answer is, um, to me, a sound isn't interesting by itself. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of interesting sounds to me, but it's not as interesting as sound that has context, sound that has um, a background, or the person who makes a sound. It's about all these combinations, I think. Sound itself is never interesting. It's never so interesting to me that I, I want to do this. It's always something behind it that tr that really triggers it, I think. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. And it, yeah, it's all about the, the, the context of it. Um, yeah. I am looking at your bio now, and uh, I, I've wanted to ask you about this for a while. Um, so... In your bio, it has the sentence, uh, Karen Yu uses sound making as a medium to question and subvert the relationship between audience and performer. Uh, given what you've all just said in the last uh, couple of minutes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, again, the idea of using sound as uh, a relationship, right? Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that specific sentence, subverting that relationship, and how you've been able to achieve it in your work? Yeah, uh, so I always believe audience has a role in a performance. I don't think audience are meant to just sit there and watch us because audience is what contributes the most to a performance. A performance wouldn't be a performance without audience. I also believe that audience have a responsibility by sitting in the, in the seat. I think they have to realize what's going on on stage and what it means to them. So all of these thoughts must be done in order for them to be an audience. And that's exactly what I've been thinking about when I do performances, when I curate performances, is that what, what is it like to be an audience watching you doing the breathing canvas? What does it mean to them? So these are the little things that I always think about. I wouldn't want audience coming in and just watch the show and leave. I would always love to talk to people. I would always want their feedback or... Um, you want them to, to leave with something, like in some kind of idea or, or some kind of concept that they, they did, maybe yeah. didn't have on the way in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that too, yes. It's not like I want to change their life, but I want to bring something new to them. Right, At least yeah. one little idea that I would want to bring to them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. In terms of, I guess, now when very few performances uh, are able to be attended in person, do you think of that any differently for the, I guess, the virtual audience or is it is it the same? It's so different. It's so different. I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure you feel it too. It's so different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, I've been struggling about online audience. I mean, online streaming, all that stuff is pretty difficult for me, especially when I've been talking about relationship with the audience, relationship with collaborators. And when social distancing, no one. <laughs> yeah, social distancing is in, in place. I mean, there's no way of doing this. But um, I've been taking some time to really think about that, what it means. So I haven't been really uh, realizing this during this difficult time. I hope to do more online stuff because I've been seeing interesting stuff. It's just that I don't know what else I can be doing. I guess the virtual of debris is something that I have already done in this difficult time where people are actually, people can actually go online and read the logs. I've turned the entire performance into video, but you know, the impact is so small to me. It's not as big as doing a live performance yet, but I think it's a step. Right, right, for sure. And for the Vigil of Debris, I'm, I'm curious, in the videos that you've created, the performers are outside, right? It incorporates all of this, this uh, you know, environmental sound and then also the objects that they're playing. I guess that would be a very different realization for an in-person performance. We see like a much more intimate look at the, the performer and their soundscape. And if, if that were to be realized as a live performance, um, would you change the way that you were thinking about the sounds? Would you amplify them differently? Would there be still would there be piped in environmental sound or would this never even see the like would this never even be realized in inside um i had the exact question yesterday i wouldn't do it on in a, on a concert stage i wouldn't do it i thought about i did think about doing this initially that was a plan actually but then after doing the video after watching the video so many times i i don't think it makes sense right got it i I just can't imagine a performer walking on stage carrying a bag of debris, just like setting up on stage and start playing. It, it doesn't make sense to me. There's no relationship. It's all about uh, the context. Yeah, exactly. Like, sure. I don't see anything that relates to the garbage. Right, right. The really beautiful and well-built concert hall. There's, there's no point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not what I intended to do, anyways. So gotcha. Yeah, and we Definitely we think about it very differently. Like that. Yeah, totally. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And um, <laughs> I have one final question for you before our, I guess, lightning round. But how can sound change the way that we think about the world? Um, yeah, the world is so messed up, but sound making is how I sustain my consciousness as a human being. Um, My work doesn't necessarily reflect on the situation in my community or the world even. It's so messed up that I don't think any artwork is going to be able to reflect on that. And I think I I wouldn't be able to have a stable job and be like a full-time percussionist because I'm just going to be unconscious after some time, I'm just going to be insensitive of anything that happens around the world because I'll be so happy in my own little world. I don't have to care about anything else. I don't have to care about people's injustice anymore if I had that job, right? 
So sound making is what really pushes me to be conscious, to be alerted, to be aware of things around me. And I will continue to make sound because I will need to be conscious for the rest of my life. Gotcha. Thank you. I mean, and that that so neatly ties into everything else um, in terms of sound connecting people and sound being for a purpose and sound not existing on its own in isolation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Now we have just some really quick lightning round questions. So just, you know, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Um, so, you know, in, in just in general in your work, this could be an improvisation or in the vigil debris. Uh, how are you thinking about timbre? How am I thinking about timbre? See, I didn't really think about timbre because garbage is all just plastic and paper. There's, uh-huh. I don't have a choice. Right, sure. I'm like the earth. I don't have a choice of <laughs> what kind of garbage people are generating. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, how are you thinking about pitch? There's no pitch. Pitch doesn't exist to me. <laughs> I think I might have said that as well when no one asked me these. Um, and all right, but here, here's the last one. Uh, how are you thinking about rhythm? Oh, I didn't think about that. I thought I was just going to have So you weren't thinking about timbre, you weren't thinking about pitch, and you weren't thinking about rhythm. No, I wasn't. I was just thinking about the whole context. <laughs> All right, and, that's you know, fair. Some See, Samuel is a percussionist. He's going to take care of rhythm. I don't have to take mm-hmm. care of rhythm. <laughs> right, I guess, yeah. See, you put it in the performer's hands as, as the composer yeah. and choosing who you want to play the piece. But that yeah. makes sense. That freedom gotcha. is essential. Without that freedom, I don't... I don't think it makes sense for anyone to perform the work, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah. And our last and final question, um, what would your advice be to someone who is creating a sound installation or wants to create a sound installation for the first time with limited resources? Uh, I guess a different way of asking that is, how did you, like, how would you recommend someone start to even broach this kind of thing? If someone is a percussionist, if someone is a composer, and they want to kind of just make something that is outside of their current practice, uh, what would be the best way of them doing that? I'm also realizing that question every day. Um, That's the question I ask myself every day because I don't, as I said, most of the projects I've done are were all accidents. They weren't intentional. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I actually, um, I think I started to realize that I have been considering most of my performance from walking on stage to getting off stage as the whole performance, even though the time when I'm actually like changing my mouth and all that stuff. When everything becomes a performer, I started to see a much bigger picture. I see that whole movement, that body movements. I see the way I enter the stage. All that stuff is actually what I've been doing in daily life. And when everything in daily life can turn into performance, I see much more. I see flipping a book would be a performance. I see a book being an installation. The sound of book becomes an instrument or sound installation. So, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it's all around you. Yeah, and I am still thinking about that question. I will continue to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Wow. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's thank been great you. talking to you about this. It's great talking to you. Great seeing you. <laughs> great seeing Noah at the back. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Sound Method. If you look in the show notes, 
you'll find that some of the topics we discussed have been linked. These links will take you to an article in the Soundgarden, a constantly growing resource, drawing on the techniques, tools, compositions, and creators discussed on each episode. Join us next week to continue the conversation. We'll be speaking about communicating through improvisation with Nicole Patrick. I'm Jess Sang. And I'm Noah Snyderman. Speak to you soon.